Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, fitness, wellness trends, food, how celebrities get results. I also review other podcasts on these topics. On this show, I like to discuss details and the reality of trying to find balance in a world full of extremes. All right, let's get into the show. But first, I wanted to talk to you about our sponsor, which is a trusted nutrition program focused on healthy aging and longevity. It's called Prolon for promoting longevity, and it helps maintain health, energy, clarity, weight, and performance while supporting healthy aging and rejuvenation of the cells. As all of you know, I'm all about slowing down the aging process and increasing longevity, and that starts with what you're consuming on a regular basis. Their main product is the Prolon 5-Day that feeds the body with clean, premium ingredients while providing the rejuvenation benefits of fasting. The Prolon system allows you to eat for five days, which is good, you're not starving, and your metabolism and cells think you're fasting. It is the number one doctor-recommended fasting nutrition program based on over 20 years of research, and it was developed at the Longevity Institute of the University of Southern California. In human studies, Prolon showed to reduce biological age hello, as well as risk factors for health conditions, which is great because who wants to be sick? Um, It's a great body and spiritual reset that combines plant-based nutrition with spirituality and rejuvenation. Fasting is common in all divine religions and major meditation schools, and now science has uncovered that there are major benefits of this practice. Check out uh, Prolon's nutrition products and program. Uh, You can get the five-day Prolon uh, nutrition program, and there's a lot of other products to choose from as well. Uh, But they recommend doing the five-day program at least three times a year. Uh, You can go to ProlonLife.com, or you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram, at the Diet Obsessed Podcast. And if you order any Prolon products, you can use code Veronica20 for 20% off your entire order at checkout. That's V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A-2-0, Veronica20. You'll get 20% off. Go to the link in my bio on Instagram, and enjoy. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe to Craving More, which is my premium content. So this is one of my free episodes. I do two free episodes every month. They come out every other week. Uh, So next week will be another episode of Craving More. I share even more behind the paywall. I tell even juicier, more personal stories, some controversial topics uh, that I don't really want to talk about on my free show. Uh, So you can go to the link in my bio on Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast and you can subscribe to Patreon. Uh, you can also subscribe through Apple Podcasts and that will get you uh, two additional episodes per month. I also have a VIP um 
tier, and that gets you another premium episode per month. Really, really personal stuff on that one. Um, So that comes out one time per month. But go to the link in my bio if you're interested in getting more episodes every month. Um, I do four total, actually five total per month. Um, The free ones are only two per month. So if you want those extra three, you can subscribe to Patreon or through Apple Podcasts. All right, let's get into the show. All right, everyone. I hope all of you are having a great week. I am sitting here in my mom's old bedroom in Maine uh, in front of the closet. So uh, this is my new podcast studio. I'm trying to be in an area that's a little bit buffered. Um, But let's get into my regular segments. I am going to be doing a podcast review a little bit later on maintenance phase. I started this one last week. So I'm doing a a two-part series on their Ozempic episode. Maintenance phase finally covered Ozempic. It's a fascinating topic. And this today I'm going to be reviewing the rest of that episode. So I'll be getting to, into that in a second. First, I wanted to cover my regular segments. Uh, first, for my mental health check-in, uh, this week has been a little bit anxious for me. Uh, I've been, you know, it's, I just get out of my routine when I'm in Maine and I'm trying to form a better routine. You know, when I'm in Arizona, I, I usually get my workout done really early. We have a home gym there. So it's, it's just so much easier and it's warmer (laughs) when it's cold. I just want to hibernate. I literally just want to hibernate. And so today I finally did get a workout in. I've had, I finally worked out this week. I took, I took basically an entire week off last week. And, um, you know, this week I did some yoga. I've been doing some weights. I did, you know, I did go for a walk run. So at least I'm starting to get a little bit more activity in, which is always good for my mental health. And I can tell when I'm when I'm not working out, it does add to my anxiety. Um, I've also been eating more sugar and pastry and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, all that stuff does affect my mental health a little bit. Plus, uh, we did get, so we had our final inspection, and we did expect a deficiency report uh, for getting our final license in Massachusetts for the cannabis industry. And, um, you know, there's a few things. I have to get our security team back in to fix a couple cameras. We have to purchase some more cameras. So just all of that, you know, I was waiting and waiting and waiting to hear back from the the regulators. Then I'm waiting, waiting, waiting to hear back from our security team. And I just start getting really anxious about those things. And even though like I, I talk myself down, I'm like, oh, you know, just just it's okay, Veronica. Like you're they're gonna answer you. Just just be patient. I just want to get this final license so badly. I mean, I did have to take another pay cut. I knew I would, so I, I kind of was mentally prepared for it. Um, and that's why I took that third job because, you know, I just knew this day would come where, you know, we have to pay like $6,000 a month in rent uh, for our, our warehouse space. And it's it's insane with with no cash, no money coming in the door. That 6000 drains our resources so, so quickly. So, um, so I'm glad that I kept this other job. You know, I like it. I'm able to do it. It's, it's, it, it is a little bit emotionally draining, I have to say. And, 
And, you know, they've had some turnover. So that just means I get bombarded with extra work, which, um, again, I, sh- I, I really am trying to just focus on being grateful for the opportunity and for the job because it has given me this this cushion where no matter what happens with my other company, Grasp, um, and, and this whole crazy startup cannabis world, um, I do have that to fall back on. And that is even though it's like sometimes affects my mental health because I'm like, oh, I just got to I got to work till like midnight tonight. At least I have a cushion of financial security. And for me, having that stability financially does help me with my anxiety, especially around the holidays. You know, you, you I want to be able to get people great gifts and, and reconnect with friends. And, you know, this year, because of all these, you know, the sponsorship with Prolon and 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 doing, you know, that having that other job and, you know, winning that lawsuit. I mean, all that has been good. But now it's getting down to crunch time. Like we have to get this business open. So I'm like feeling the pressure. And that's just giving me a little bit more anxiety. But Overall, I'm man. I, I'm using all the techniques I've learned over the past couple of years to manage my mental health, and it's helping. So I hope all of you have good coping me- mechanisms too. Um, I know, you know, not one of the things that I think about is just you know controlling my controllables. Just thinking, what am I in control of? What can I do today? And then just trying to let the rest go. So that does help me sometimes. And then again, doing my affirmations. And again, I you know not having my vision board here, I was kind of in this routine of doing my vision board, doing my affirmations in front of my vision board. But um, now I've, I've, I forgot to do them some days. And I, I just remembered last night. And, and I think it does help my anxiety too to kind of do those affirmations because they are, they're very affirming. Um, and so, so yeah, so I, anyway, I hope all of you have had a good mental health week yourselves. Okay, let's get into my diet culture media moment. So I had to cover this one because, A, it's very topical. Um, I wanted to talk about Oprah, her purple dress, everybody talking about how great she looks, how, how, how much weight she's lost. And a lot of people were like, oh, she's denying using these weight loss drugs, but of course she has to be using them. And obviously, she's a huge stockholder in Weight Watchers. Now, I had done this one in the past, and I, I did a little topic on Oprah because she had admitted to to using some of these things, and and all of a sudden, people forgot that, and and so there was a lot of talk about is she or isn't she? Oh, she's denying it. Well, people just came out with this article about how she is talking about it, and she is being very honest. But she doesn't just credit, you know, the semaglutides. She credits, you know, getting into a better fitness program. So I just wanted to read you some of the excerpts from the People article. Um, so Oprah was saying how it was it was public sport. This was a quote from her. It was public sport to make fun of me for 25 years, Winfrey tells people in this week's cover story. She said, I have been blamed and shamed, and I blamed and shamed myself. She said one hurtful moment came early in her career when she landed um, – she landed on fashion critic Mr. Blackwell's list. 
She said, I was on the cover of some magazine and it said, dumpy, frumpy, and downright lumpy, recalls the co-producer of the new film, The Color Purple. Okay, that's why she's wearing purple. Um, And she said, I didn't feel angry. I felt sad. I felt hurt. I swallowed the shame. I accepted that it was my fault. And Winfrey, who turns 70 next month, I mean, hello, I want to look like her when I'm 70, please. Wow. Wow, Bethany, wow. Um, She's optimistic that she now has a better handle on how to maintain a healthy weight long term and rid herself of shame once and for all using a holistic approach that includes regular exercise and other lifestyle tweaks. Winfrey confirms she has also added a weight loss medication to her regimen. So on weight fluctuations, she said, occupied five decades of space in my brain, yo-yoing and feeling like, why can't I just conquer this thing? Believing willpower was my failing, said Winfrey, whose dogged rehabilitation after knee surgery in 2021 kick-started what has been steady weight loss uh, over the past two years. And she said, after knee surgery, I started hiking and setting new distance goals each week. I could eventually hike three to five miles every day and a 10-mile straight-up hike on weekends. She says, I felt stronger, more fit, and more alive than I'd felt in years. Now she says, I eat my last meal at 4 o'clock, drink a gallon of water a day, and use the Weight Watchers principles of, of counting points. I had an awareness of weight loss medications, but felt I had to prove I had the willpower to do it. She said, I no longer feel that way. She adds, I was actually recommending it to people before I was on it myself. She said the turning point, or I'm sorry, the article says the turning point for Winfrey's approach to turning to to using pharmaceutical aids herself came in July during a taped panel conversation with weight loss experts and clinicians called the State of Weight and part of Oprah Oprah's Daily's uh, Life You Want series. She said, I had the biggest aha along with many people in that audience, she recalls of the discussion, which posted online in September. I realized I'd been blaming myself all these years for being overweight, and I have a predisposition that no amount of willpower is going to control. She adds, obesity is a disease. It's not about willpower. It's about the brain. Once she reconciled the the science, Winfrey says, She released her own shame about it and consulted her doctor, who went on to prescribe a weight loss medication. I now use it as I feel I need it, as a tool to manage not yo-yoing, she said, opting not to name the specific drug she takes. The fact that there's a medically approved prescription for managing weight and staying healthier in my lifetime feels like relief like redemption, like a gift, and not something to hide behind and once again be ridiculed for. I'm absolutely done with shaming myself and other people, and particularly myself. Winfrey's aware of the buzz around her body size, especially on the use of medications like Wagovi, Ozempic, and Munjaro for weight loss has surged in popularity. But she stresses stresses it has not been a magic bullet or singular solution. She said it's everything. She says of her 
all-encompassing health and fitness routine. I know everybody thought I was on it, but I work so damn hard. I know that if I'm not also working out and vigilant about all the other things, it doesn't work for me. She took the medication before Thanksgiving because, quote, I knew I was going to have two solid weeks of eating, she says. And instead of gaining eight pounds like I did last year, I gained half a pound. It quiets the food noise. Though she's seven pounds away from her goal weight of 160, Winfrey says it's not about the number. Instead, she's content building on the progress she has made during the two years since her surgery. It was a second shot for me to live a more to live a to live a more vital and vibrant life, she says. In Hawaii, I live on a mountain and there's this big hill. I used to look out the window every morning and say, God, one day I want to walk up that mountain. Last year over Christmas I did it. It felt like redemption. So that's where I stop on the People article. If you want to look it up, it's a great article. And, you know, for me, this is, this is, I I applaud this. You know, it's, it's, I'm very, you know, use what you want to use, you know, and I, I, I love hearing, you know, somebody like Oprah who is using something like this to quiet that food noise, but then is also really, really focused on, or like working out, creating these healthy habits. Now, later on in maintenance phase, the the review, we're going to get into some of the studies. And, um, and it doesn't sound like they've done a study, like they've done a study with behavior modification. But I wonder if that was fitness, if that was, you know, if, if, if you know, working out was built into that. Um. Now, I was, and, and I, I especially applaud people that are doing it this way, because I think I think using, the, using something like Ozempic or Rigovi or whatever to, to stop the cravings. I mean, when you think about why diets don't work or why the majority of them, it's like, yes, low carb works, but who can sustain that? Who can sustain staying away from these delicious carbs all the time, right? Like we need carbs, but it's more like you know, the cravings for like fried food and fast food and all of these things where like in moderation, great. But, you know, for people that have that constant swirl in their head of addiction, right? Food addiction is real. And, you know, there's some people that deal with it on a, on a deeper level than others. Now, I'm going to say something very judgmental here. Okay. Now, you all know, or at least people that have been listening to me for a while. I love Taylor Strecker. I'm obsessed. I love the show. I I subscribe to her Patreon. I pay for it every month. And particularly what I love is she talks about her weight loss journey. She talks about her love of food, blah, blah, blah. Now, she has been taking the semaglutides. So has her good friends, um, you know, Claudia and Ben Oshry. Or, sorry, Ben has a different last name, Soffer. Anyway, um, but they, you know, Ben and Claudia, they're doing it kind of like Oprah. Like they're eating healthier. They're eating, you know, with more nutrition. They're working out. They're being active. Taylor, Taylor said something on her podcast the other day that I was like, are you kidding me? I'm sorry. Again, this is very judgmental. I'm owning that I'm being judgmental here. 
But she said she was on with Andrea Laventhal, and she's talking about how good she feels and how she's lost weight. And she's like, but this like, this is something you could, that allows you to eat cheeseburgers and pizza and french fries. You know, you just don't want to eat as much, and then you can still lose weight. She, and then she said her plan is to, when she goes off it, to then start eating salmon and vegetables and all of these things. And I'm like, this does not make sense. Like, it literally, like, as if after she takes it, she's going to have the, 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 the ability to, like, stick to it. Even though now she's not, she, she can't do it or she's not wanting to do it. She still wants to eat primarily indulgent food which hey more power to you if you want to do that I just think it's it's she's kind of fooling herself if she thinks oh I'm suddenly going to develop these these healthy habits after I take this like most people well and again we don't really know like a lot of people well it does get into the research a little bit later with Ozempic how a lot of people that are coming off of it are gaining the weight back but I think again I think if if people are incorporating really healthy habits and they're working out consistently and they're eating with more nutrition, I think that is a good way to try to maintain the weight loss after. And I think that that potentially is possible for a lot of people. But suddenly, okay, so you're not having a lot of the cravings now. And yes, you're able to lose weight still with Ozempic. But, you know, when you're not craving all of this this stuff, don't you think that's when the best time to start to incorporate these things when you have more control over the cravings. It's, it's you know, if she goes off of it, she's not going to suddenly want to eat salmon and and broccoli, you know? I don't know. Again, that's just, I, I just had to comment on that because I, I could hear Andrea kind of being like, hmm, that doesn't make sense, but she didn't say anything about it. But I'm just like, Taylor, like, and and at first it seemed like she wanted to do it kind of like Claudia and Ben are doing it. And I want that for her. I do. I, I care about her. I want her to live her, her healthiest life. And again, this is totally not my place to like have these desires for somebody I don't even know. But, you know, I just, again, I think seeing my dad live a really, you know, die a horrible death because he didn't incorporate these this balance, the, these some health healthy choices, you know, new, high nutrition, movement, these things that everybody should have some level of, uh, you know, some balance in their lives. And she suddenly thinks she's going to do it after she gets off this weight loss drug. So anyway, I just had to go off on that tangent a little bit. I think the way that Oprah is doing it is, in my opinion, this is my opinion. I think it's the best way to do it. Um, but again, that's my opinion. Everybody's entitled to theirs. And I think the most important thing is that people don't feel the shame around the conversation. But bravo to Oprah, to each his own. You know, again, for those that don't want to lose weight and are happy in their body, again, more power to those people. The body positivity movement still has a place in this society, despite these weight loss drugs. And um, and we're going to get that into that even more during the maintenance phase review. But anyway, I just wanted to cover that in my diet culture media moment. 
All right, let's get into my healthy habits segment. So the healthy habits this week, I mean, I've I've talked a little bit about them, you know, just some of the working out. I finally, like I did some legs today. Uh, I did like five different leg movements with um, some weights. So that felt good. I just, I needed to do something. Um, and then, yes, I've been eating some salads, trying to get, you know, earlier in the day when I'm a little bit more motivated to eat healthy or with high nutrition. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I went to the grocery store, got a bunch of cucumbers, some black olives, some onions, and, and I got these, um, these like edamame, these dry edamame for a little bit of extra protein. I've been eating a lot of eggs. Uh, and so, and a lot of protein shakes. So I'm, I'm getting in some protein, I'm getting in some veggies, uh, and that's been pretty much the only types of healthy habits that I've had so far. Um, because it, but it's better than, you know, in the past I would have just eaten crap. You're not crap. I know that's a judgment call, but you know, just, you know, cereal and and pastry and coffee cake and like all the heavy indulgent stuff with no vegetables and no protein. So, you know, now at least I'm having some balance. I'm not binging at night. I'm eating. Yes, I'm I'm having some sweet treats, some desserts, some you know, pastry and all that, but I'm not like going off the deep end and and eating till I'm sick at night. So that's good. That's a healthy that's a healthy habit. I'm just eating with some sort of moderation and eating till I'm full and not just going off the deep end. So um, anyway, those are my healthy habits this week. I hope all of you have some healthy habits this week yourselves. All right. And then for my final segment, I'm going to get into my tasty treats of the week. So my mom had gone to that standard bakery and got some of those prosciutto and asagio cheese croissants. And they're so buttery and delicious and salty. And I mean, I could eat 20 of them in one sitting. I swear they are so good. I'm trying. I have one left. I've been savoring it and I might eat it tonight. But, um, and then I got these, so I got these Italian shortbread cookies. They are so good. I mean, I guess that the theme of, of my tasty treat section is going to be butter. I love some butter. Butter is so delicious. But these shortbread cookies are filled with butter. (laughs) And they're those ones that have like, some of them have the chocolate coating. Some of them have like the little dot of red jelly in the middle. Um, There's some chocolate covered pretzels and um, and some wafers, like these wafer cookies that have a little bit of like chocolate icing in the middle. Mm, They're so good. I love the texture and I, I freeze everything, of course. Those were really good frozen. And then I got these, uh, it, also these Italian jellies. And they're really, they're, they're high quality Italian like candies. And they have a little bit of a sugar coating, but they're made with fruit pectin, which is a, it's a game changer. I mean, it, it tastes just like it's made with real fruit juices and pectin. And it's so, these candies, oh my God, my mouth is watering. They're so, like I I put them in the refrigerator, you know, because they're, I I like everything firm. And 
to bite into one of these jellies and that burst of fruity sugariness. Mm, they're so good. I'm obsessed with them. Um, and then, you know, and then, of course, people are sending over candies and chocolate chip cookies. I mean, this morning I woke up and I just wanted to eat chocolate chip cookies when I woke up. Like they're my mom had put them in the freezer and I'm like, I really just want to eat some chocolate chip cookies. But I, I, I forced myself to choose the protein shake because it's funny, you know, I mean, again, when I what I found is when I'm eating all day like that, because occasionally there'll be a Sunday where I, where I will just wake up and let myself eat cookies in the morning, but I they don't taste as good. I really do find that when I have some balance, like if I have a salad and, and you know, just a protein shake early, you know, when I finally do eat the cookies later, they're so much more delicious. You know, I'm not like sick of them and it's... I don't know. And I think like when I eat too much sugar and too many indulgent things, I get my tongue gets, I don't know, it gets these little like, it like hurts. It, I get these little like, not like, I don't know, there it's it sugar definitely like affects my mouth. I don't know if you've noticed that. Do you guys, does that happen to any of you where it's it's almost like you get one of those like sores, like you bit your tongue, but it, it gets like that from sugar, which is weird. Um but um and then of course my mom is has like some nights where she cooks and makes really delicious home cooking. So this one night she made beef stew and I love beef stew with a buttery biscuit and sopping up all that gravy with my biscuit. Mm, so good. And then and then tonight she's making these pork chops with a poblano salsa and some veggies and some rice. And oh my God, I cannot wait for this meal. I had gotten her this gift card at this really famous high-end um, Mexican restaurant in Arizona. It's up in Sedona. It's called Elote. And I, I haven't actually been there, but I had, they had heard rave reviews. And when my mom and stepfather went, she said it was probably one of the most delicious meals she's ever had in her life. And she bought the cookbook and um, the chef came out and signed it. And so the, the poblano salsa that she's going to put on this pork chop tonight came from that uh, cookbook. And I've had it before. It's so delicious. So... I love my mother's cooking. I just, you know, if I could live with my mom, I would. <laughs> I know that sounds pathetic, but I just love her so much and her cooking. Uh, anyway, those are my tasty treats of the week. I hope all of you have had some tasty treats yourselves. All right, now let's get into part two of my maintenance phase review on the topic of Ozempic. Now, on the last episode, which is behind a paywall, it's part of my Craving More premium content. Go ahead and subscribe through Patreon or through Apple Podcasts if you want to hear it. I did do part one, which talked about the origins of these semaglutides. Um, now it comes from the Gila monster. But if you want to hear that part one, I do give a little bit of a controversial hot take on my strong opinion on this episode a little bit. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that behind that paywall. So if you want to go listen, go ahead and subscribe. But, um, but, you know, again, one of the reasons that I was really excited to do this review is because Aubrey and Michael, who are the hosts of 
um, maintenance phase do an excellent, excellent job. They they do a lot of research, and their perspective their perspectives are very, very important, especially. Aubrey's because she is she is a fat person she just came out with a movie your fat friend and it had been a book and she's she's become pretty famous because she's an excellent writer she's very intelligent she's incredibly articulate I mean to hear her speak it's like well that woman has some brains and um and then they they really deep dive into the research here so so um, part two of my maintenance phase gets into some of the research. So Michael is starting off with it. And so he starts off talking about how uh, they both need to admit that they've been following this topic obsessively. So those are his words. He said, we need to admit that we've been following this obsessively the last few months He said, I've tried to stay away from the discourse because it's very annoying, but the research is quite robust, and I want to talk about what we know and what we can expect from these drugs. And so now they they pronounce semaglutide as semaglutide or something like that, or semagla, I think they pronounce it semaglutide. Um, I'm going to keep with semaglutide. But Michael said the trials of semaglutide for weight loss are all grouped under the heading of STEP trials, which stands for semaglutide treatment effect in people with obesity. Uh, And it's a classic randomized, uh, these, these are, you know, randomized control trials. They're global. They're comprised of 5,000 people. All of them are 68 weeks long. And they're all funded by this pharmaceutical company called uh, Norvo Nordisk. And they break down, they break them down into step one, step two, step three, et cetera, regarding what they want to know. And Aubrey asks, so these these steps are separate studies, correct? And Michael said, yes. So step one, we're going to give fat people the drug for weight loss. Step two is the same thing but on people with type 2 diabetes. Step three is semaglutide with intense behavioral therapy. Okay, that's what I just talked about earlier, but we'll get into that. Step four is they put people on semaglutide for a while and then switch them to a placebo. Step five is a two-year trial Step six and seven are the same, except they do it in do it with Japanese and Korean people and Chinese people. Uh, step eight is testing some is testing semaglutide against some of the other versions. And Aubrey said most of these studies are done predominantly on white people, so it's worth mentioning that it's rare to have large studies that have groups of minorities in them. She said, I think one of them had one of the largest ones, which had 80% white people and only 10% black people, for example. And Michael said, yeah, most diet studies in general are mostly on white people. He said the results for these trials are remarkably consistent. Roughly 80% of people who take semaglutides lose some amount of weight, roughly 5% of their body weight. Roughly half of people that take semaglutide lose 10 to 15% of their body weight. 
The biggest number, and why this has just exploded, roughly one-third of people who take semaglutide lose more than 20% of their body weight, which is roughly on par with bariatric surgery. Another thing that's a really big deal about these drugs is the results seem to hold up. There is one trial where people took semaglutide for two years, and by the end of it, about 36% had lost more than 20% of their body weight. Uh, Aubrey said, so about a third of the patients are losing about three times as much as previous interventions. And Michael said... Yeah, and there's also other health impacts. You know, people are having lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol levels, improved A1C levels. Then with the longer-term trials, there's a reduction in heart attack and stroke. You know, side note, that's huge. And Aubrey said that's really exciting that there's a drug that people can take and they're less likely to die. She's like, I'm pro that drug. And, and Michael said it's roughly in line with the effectiveness of statins. So that's a huge deal. I mean, again, side note, we used to not be able to serve people. Like if, if people came into LA Weight Loss, but when I was in the weight loss industry and they were taking a statin, we could not work with them. We could not work with anybody that had um, brittle diabetes. We couldn't work with anybody with, you know, that had a heart attack or took statins. So, you know, this this seems like a good um, potential option for people that have those types of health conditions. Um, so anyway, so Michael's like, it's roughly in line with the effectiveness of statins. So this is a huge deal. Even if we take the weight loss topic off the table the side effects seem to be almost universal. Some studies find about 60% of people have gastrointestinal symptoms, but then some of them, like 93% of people, have like nausea, constipation, diarrhea, vomiting, a lot of stuff that makes sense when you're messing around with your hunger and satiety hormones. And so... Aubrey said a lot of side effects are getting covered in like beauty blogs, like 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 Ozempic face. Have you heard of that? And and we did it. And side note again, we did a topic on Ozempic face, of course, because you know we like to cover superficial things on this podcast. Um, but Michael's like, uh, I only heard of Ozempic face like ten minutes ago when we started recording. And Aubrey said it's basically just the appearance of aging. She said when taking these classifications of drugs. And, you know, she said it's it's the result of rapid weight loss. It's really not unique to just Ozempic. You know, it's it's really just kind of how things work out. If you lose a lot of weight quickly, you do have extra skin um, when you lose weight, which tends to age people. So, you know, these 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 types of comments are basically just very mean. <laughs> Uh, and so Michael's like, yeah, I mean, our culture is telling you to constantly lose weight than you do. And now they're calling you old looking. I mean, he's right. Uh, Aubrey's like, some people think it's like your comeuppance for daring to take a drug to help you lose weight. You're vain. It's, it's so steeped in judgment. And Michael said, then there's rare side effects, but there have been some worry about pancreatitis. There's some studies that show it increases 
um, increases the the uh, potential for pancreatitis, and then but then there's other studies that show it decreases the the potential for pancreatitis. Uh, he said there's concern around thyroid cancer, but that's more based on rodent studies. He said there's slightly elevated risks of gallbladder disease, kidney injury. Uh, just two cases, and and in Iceland of suicidal ideation. And he said recently the FDA updated the label to include something called ileus, which is when digested food stays in your intestine and gets backed up, and the only way to deal with it is surgery. And it can be fatal. You know, currently we have 33 cases of this and two deaths. Then there's a study out of China that's showing that this mechanism is also found in mice. It basically stops bowel function. So there was a warning that this could show up in humans around the 18-month mark. But it's super preliminary. It's all animal studies. People really don't know what to make of it yet. And it's interesting because now, um, again, Taylor Strecker was just talking on her podcast about how her doctors, because Andrew was like, well, you could just stay on it forever. And she's like, no, I can't stay on it forever. My doctor is like, no, you need to stop it within 18 months. So I guess this is why they're worried about the potential to stop bowel function, Um, because some people do get constipated. It doesn't seem like Taylor has that problem. She's like, I'm a world-class pooper, so she doesn't have that issue, which is good. Um, But I think, you know, doctors, of course, are going to err on the side of caution. And so... So it's interesting that it kind of came out of this study. But then Aubrey said, you know, two people dying is not something to ignore, especially in the context of previous weight loss drugs, uh, where they've gone, they've kind of gone this way, you know, where they're very effective, but then people are dying. And Michael said, you know, what stuck out to me is, you know, we have these universal side effects, then we have these more rare side effects The dropout rates in these studies is very, very low. You know, what we're seeing is that people are getting some sort of side effect or another, but that typically happens in the first few weeks of the study, you know, when you're upping your dose. He said it actually takes four months to get up to the 2.4 milligram weight loss dose, but it typically goes away as people get used to the drug. So when the two-year study, so when the two-year study, there were 150 people who completed it, and only 10 people dropped out due to adverse effects, which is about six percent. And so what this indicates um, is people are getting side effects, but the vast majority are willing to push through the side effects for the end result. Uh, the way people are talking about it in the weight loss world is it's delivering significant weight loss and the dropout rate is low. But it's important to acknowledge that this is the data we have and this new generation of weight loss drugs is a big deal. At the same time, the most bizarre thing about the discourse is the weird victory lap that people have been doing. You know, we know we have something now that works for weight loss. We finally have an effective weight loss drug. And and people are like, well, what are the activists going to do now? That just ruin, it ruins body, pos- body positivity, all this weird stuff. You know, now we have a cure for obesity, 
The reality is about half of people will lose 15% of their body weight. And that's not a cure for there being no more fat people in the world. It's not going to end the obesity epidemic. We still need to work on stigma against fat people, improving health care for fat people. There are still going to be fat people in the world. Aubrey said, even if they work as intended, someone my size goes from 330 pounds to 280 pounds. You know, I stay at an obese BMI. The whole thing is, is this, is this the end of the obesity epidemic? So then Michael goes on kind of a rant after this, and he's, to sum it up, he's basically talking about a hypothetical situation where ultimately what he's scared about is that doctors and people are going to start pushing Ozempic on people indiscriminately without really digging deeper into aspects of their overall health care. Aubrey thinks this is the darkest episode she's ever researched, She thinks it's upsetting on an individual basis, but also systemically. She said, because I stopped, she said, I stopped seeing doctors for eight years. And that was at the height of the bariatric surgery movement. You know, that really fueled how doctors would talk to me and what treatments they would offer me. It was a very frequent, frequent conversation of, of me being like, hey, I'm 24 and I have an entry-level position at a nonprofit where I feel fortunate to have health coverage at all. No, I don't have 25 grand for a weight loss surgery. And we know that a lot of people, a lot of our healthcare providers look at fat people as slovenly, non-compliant, unattractive, weak-willed. And this becomes another reason for that group of people to stop listening to fat people. You know, basically, it's going to be harder for me to get health care. Now, side note, this is a perspective that you don't have unless you're a fat person. And I think this perspective is really, really important for the general population to understand. And I think... I think this is why it's important that I cover podcasts like this to help spread the awareness of this, that that fat people get discriminated against in, in the healthcare system. And, you know, they go in for a migraine or they go in for some other issue totally unrelated to their weight and the doctors are pushing weight loss on them and they're pushing these different drugs and these solutions, like she said, bariatric surgery. And it's hard to even think about that perspective unless you're dealing with it, right? Um, you know, for a long time, I was like, oh, what does it mean that, that fat people get discriminated against in healthcare? This is exactly what happens. And this is what people in fat bodies are talking about when they're, they're saying that this, this, they're scared of this whole movement because it's creating even more stigma against fat people. So I think it's an important perspective to hear. Michael then said, I have three reasons why these drugs are likely to not pan out in the long term. He said, one, the population being studied in these trials is relatively narrow. He said the exclusion criteria for step one People were not allowed to participate if they have a history of major depressive disorder, if they have a diagnosis of severe psychiatric disorders. Um, They have to fill out this patient health questionnaire. And if they have a score of over 15, um, then they're disqualified. And this is the type of survey that asks things like, 
it asks you to rate things like, I have feelings of hopelessness. You know, it's basically a measure of how depressed you are. Uh, One of them is, do you have poor appetite or overeating? LOL. That's that's just also excluding people, uh, you know, that might attempt suicide. Um, I'm sorry, they're also excluding people with with any type of suicide attempts, any any history of stroke, heart attack or cardiovascular issues, anyone that's known or suspected of uh, abusing alcohol or or recreational drugs or women that are pregnant, breastfeeding or plan to become pregnant um, or are just not even using a highly effective contraceptive method. But they do this because they obviously want to start with, you know, basically people that don't have any known health conditions where they can get a baseline of effectiveness. But the reality is once these drugs get out into the real world, they're going to be taken by people with these issues or conditions. Um, I thought it was really interesting, just as a side note, that a lot of what they're not letting the the preconditions have to do with suicidal ideations and depression. So, you know, because I'm a, a cannabis executive and I have a lot of knowledge about, you know, cannabis trials, they had done so cannabis uh, bonds to a couple of your receptors. And obviously, everybody knows that cannabis gives you the munchies for most people it doesn't do it for everybody. It's very rare, though. It doesn't. But for most people, it does increase your hunger. And so it it does work on some of these receptors that have to do with uh, satiety and hunger signals. And they had done this trial, and these are called CB1 receptors. They had done this trial back in the day where they actually found this drug that could kind of turn off those CB1 receptors. and, And it took away people's hunger, but it also made them incredibly depressed and suicidal. So I just thought that was interesting that there are some correlations there. I I would imagine that these play on some of those same receptors in the brain. Okay, back to the review. Aubrey said, if you're doing a trial like this, I can understand that you, you, you do want to be as safe as possible. You know, you want to know if participants have underlying conditions especially anything related to the mechanisms of this drug. You know, the trick is that they're trying to create something, you know, something where they say, okay, this is what's going to happen. You know, this is what's gonna, what the outcome is going to be for all people. Um, as if people that are in the real world are monitored by doctors constantly and have no underlying conditions and got this drug for free. Um, so, so then Michael said the second reason that these drugs are not going to be around for the long term um, and that won't deliver the results of this trial is there are real world studies of semaglutide and they don't find the same results. In the real world trials, people are using are losing about seven and a half percent of their body weight. And these are real world trials. You know, 40% of people lose 5% of their body weight, which is about half the percentage that was shown in the clinical trials. So it's not totally clear why this is happening. One reason could be that in trials, they're also getting dietary counseling. They have at least monthly check-ins. Uh, there's one study that has more intensive check-ins with a dietitian, but at least, but at least have, you know, ongoing support. 
And then a lot of people get in the mindset that, you know, they're part of this trial. They really want to finish it and get to the end and do it right. You know, in the real world trial, in the real world trials, the dropout rate are as often as high as 50%. Um, another real world study was as high as a 70% dropout rate. So much higher than in the clinical trials. So Aubrey said, this is actually a new pattern, a pattern that we saw with FenFen. You know, there's this magical expectation and thinking around it. We make policy decisions based on the excitement, not the data. Then we're stuck with these adjusted systems and, you know, we're changed based on what we thought was possible, but not real life data. And Michael said, but we do have really good data on people, on the fact that people tend to regain the weight as soon as they stop taking it. One of the step studies switched people from the semaglutide to a placebo at week 20. Uh, They did this, another study like this with trizepatide, and it switched them to the placebo at six weeks. Then within a year, they regained almost all of the weight. And it's almost like a fad diet, except more dramatic and longer results. Uh, Aubrey said, the talk I hear is, the talk here is that a lot of people are like, I'm going to take this till I get down to a certain weight, and then I'm going to stop. And that's their plan, but that's not how these drugs work. And Michael said, you know, I'm even seeing this with weight loss professionals. You know, it's it's a it's more a focus on diet and exercise. Let's use these drugs to teach them the diet and exercise tips. Then once they know that, we can take them off the drug. But the trial of trisepatide had people on intensive behavioral therapy um, when they went off the drug. So they they got on the placebo while they were doing cooking classes, but they did gain all the weight back. Um, so this is what I was just talking about. He's basically saying it's not realistic because it was proven in one of these trials that even the people that got cooking classes were, you know, gained the weight back. But cooking classes is very different than an ongoing fitness regimen. You know, fitness has always been known to not help you lose weight, but to help you maintain weight, right? If you do get people into a regular exercise regimen, let's let's do that clinical trial. Let's see if people do the o- Ozempic or Terzepatide or whatever the hell they're going to take for a semaglutide, they lose the weight and through the entire trial they developed um they developed good workout behaviors. Okay, let's let's even just say that. Just, you know, just by working out can help you maintain your weight for a very long time. So I would like to see that trial. Anyway, Aubrey said, this is another case of pump the brakes and ask the fat person. She said, has anyone ever taught you, has anyone ever taught you how to cook or offered you a gym membership? This happens every day. You know, people think this is because it reinforces our beliefs about fat people, that they're just lazy or uninformed or unintelligent, and they need a thin person to teach them how. Um, So she's basically just talking about more of the stigma towards fat people, how there's always thin people offering them, oh, hey, have you heard about this new workout regimen? And, oh, let me teach you how, you know, the thin people do it. And and Michael said, you know, it's a familiar pet pattern, like do Atkins because low carb diets work. Then when you stop and gain the weight back, people are like, well, if you just stay on it, you know, you can keep the weight off, but no one can stay on it. So it's not realistic. And with this, this is the same thing. 
You know, Ozempic works if you can just stay on it. And Aubrey said, and even if you do stay on it, you know, people characterize it as the easy way out. Oprah was just saying the other day that it's the easy way out, so I'm not going to do it. The conversation is, we need to stop stigmatizing those that take Ozempic. And is that really the issue? It's interesting that she said that because now Oprah's being honest about it and not and doesn't think it's a shortcut. Um, Michael said, the stigma of taking Ozempic is just like fat phobia. He said, it's the same thing as the connection between fatness and virtue. Lose weight in the virtuous way, like take the stairs. You, you may look thin, but you're really a fat person. No one seems to care about ending stigma against fat people. But suddenly there's an uproar about stigma towards people that take Ozempic. I mean, I personally think that there's definitely a more increased awareness about not shaming anyone for their body size or for health conditions or what they take for medications. It still happens, obviously, in our society. I do think there's a little bit more of an awareness and conversation about it. Aubrey said, you know, they do, they still do this, they still do the stigma against fat people. Then there's all these messages from thin people saying, what was body positivity for? Nothing. The majority of fat people were not under the expectation that this was going to be, that there was going to be broad acceptance of fat people. You know, it never stopped. She's like, we got one Lizzo out of it. The discourse is thin people telling themselves stories they want to hear. Okay, so she's talking about me. I just said that. And she's basically like, thin person, you don't understand. Um and maybe she's right. I mean, again, she has her perspective on it, and it's through her lens of facing a lot of discrimination and judgment for her entire life, which I will never be able to understand that perspective. I can try to empathize and put myself in her shoes. I will never understand that. Um, and, and she will never understand, you know, the the well-meaning thin person that, you know, and, and you know, so it's, it's she she talks kind of broad about thin people judgment and thin what thin people do to fat people and and it it's it's a blanket kind of um perspective but I, again i she's she's seen a lot of that so i i understand why she's saying it and and why that is her perspective and and you know i respect that and i think it's an important perspective to hear um I don't think it's 100% true, right? I think it's, I think everybody comes from a slightly different place based on, you know, based on their history. And I, I have a lot of fat people that have had health conditions in my family. So, you know, again, I come from it from that perspective. So again, uh, Aubrey then said, let's talk about the manufacturer of this drug. It's, they're called Norvo Nordisks, a big pharmaceutical company from Denmark, and their marketing practices have set the template for all the discourse we've been talking about. And Michael's like, oh, they have ads? And Aubrey's like, oh, you've never seen the oh, 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 Ozempic? She's like, go watch a half an hour of TV and you'll see them. Uh, she's like, let's talk about the marketing practices in general. She's like, it makes me feel a little gross. A good example is a campaign called It's Bigger Than Me. Their ad segments on TV, they're on billboards, and their slogan is, obesity, it's bigger than me. 
The idea behind the campaign is it's not your fault you're fat, followed immediately by because you have a disease and that disease requires medical treatment. And that medical treatment can only be provided by one company. And Michael's like, and it's only 15000 per year. And Aubrey's like, for this campaign, the pharmaceutical company Novo Nordisk has specifically recruited black public figures, particularly women. The first one was Queen Latifah. The next one was Yvette Nicole Brown, who who is on Community. The third was Roland Martin from CNN, who ran an hour-long segment on fatness in black communities that was powered by Norvo Nordisk. Uh, the reporting around this campaign is full of garbage messages about fatness and body positivity. Uh, there was an article that I read about Yvette Nicole Brown, who said, just because you're focused on health, on your health, doesn't mean you can't be body positive. Actually, the most exemplary way you can be body positive, it's the most exemplary way to be body positive because you you need your body to continue to live. Brown said somewhere down the line, society developed the idea that if you're body positive, you can't care about physical health. I'm like, who's saying this? Uh, They're really creating a bad faith argument. Um, I actually think that this, what they're saying, and, and maybe it's not like this message that's out there, but I think a lot of people struggle with that internally. Like, oh, I've been body positive. Does that mean I can't ever want to lose weight? Does that, you know, it's it's kind of similar to like, oh, I accept myself. I love myself for who I am, you know, self-love, but also, oh, can I do Botox? Can I do filler? Does that mean I don't love myself? It, it's it's kind of a similar thing. And, and you know, I, I, I think it's more of an internal struggle than anything else. But Michael said, you know, it's like people saying feminists that don't, you know, there's feminists that don't want you to get married and have kids. And Aubrey's like, well, let's let's talk about the discourse. She said, here are three actual headlines. The first one is Willow's Empic change how we think about being fat and thin. Uh, the other one is life after food, question mark. And then the third one. Ozempic settles the obesity debate. Uh, Bad faith proclamations, in Aubrey's opinion. Uh, She said, what I'm worried about is when we see a wave of media like we have with Ozempic, we also see a wave of anti-fat bias. And the reporting I've seen so far, no one is grappling with that. And, And again... You know, as I stated earlier, that is something that is important that people don't take time to really think about and understand. Um, Aubrey said, very few people are asking fat people what they what they need this, you know, what they need in this moment. And no one is asking diabetic people what they need in this moment. She said, for most people that I know, when people start losing weight, they tend to think of themselves as more virtuous, whether they want whether they want to or mean to, whether they would say it out loud. It's very common for people to expect social reinforcement for weight loss. You know, I would say now, as I have for years, 
you have to get people's consent to do that. You know, the best case scenario is you're sending a message that you're not a very good friend to a fat person. And the worst case scenario is you're increasing the stigma that they face and potentially triggering people's eating disorders. Um, I, I, you know, and I think she's right. I, that's why I started this podcast, because I want to talk about this stuff. But I, 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 it's not appropriate. I know it's not appropriate to have these conversations out in public. I want to have these conversations. I want other people that want to have these conversations, like all of you that are listening. I bet you like talking about this stuff. But again, we're not supposed to talk about it just in public. And, and I don't like people feeling like I'm judging them when I talk about this podcast. So, you know, I, I, it's here for people that want it. And for anybody that it triggers, turn it off. Don't listen because this is not meant to trigger anybody. It's just that there's some of us that still like to talk about this and we know it's not publicly acceptable or socially acceptable. And we don't want to trigger people's eating disorders or body issues. It's, that's not the goal. Uh, she said, this is a topic that's not unthorny. The fact that you're hearing it everywhere does not make it less urgent. It makes it more urgent to double up on these boundaries. Um, she said, you have to give fat people an out on this conversation and not think it's the most exciting topic for everybody. Uh, Michael said, I'm not that invested in the drugs themselves. Maybe they'll be effective for weight loss. Um, maybe there'll be effective weight loss drugs. I don't know. You know, the most likely scenario is there's going to be they're going to be prescribed to millions or tens of millions of people. What you said to me the other day is as you can, as you see the number of people that lost 15 pounds that are suddenly being mean to fat people, you know, it's going to exponentially increase this. And Aubrey said, the only thing about this discourse that I'll say, every other celebratory story about Ozempic that comes out now it's going to be mirrored by panicky think pieces about the rising costs of obesity and how fat people are bankrupting us again. You know, this is an unbelievably expensive medication, and it's going to come back to scapegoating fat people. You know, right now it's frivolous housewives. When we get into insurance conversations, we're not going to be scapegoating rich people. You know, we generally don't do that. What we typically scapegoat poor people, fat people, queer people, the marginalized groups. Michael said in a few years, people are going to look around and realize that there are still fat people around. But all the magazines told me years ago that this was the end of obesity. Aubrey's like, I've already started shifting who I hang out with. And I'm already on, you know, I'm already an indoor, you know, homebody type of person. But I'm especially guarded now. And I'm already restricting who I hang out with socially pretty dramatically because of this kind of talk. And I am unwilling to be in spaces where this shit comes up. You know, for me, that's the vast majority of people that I know who are not fat. And some people I know who are. She's like, I just want people to know what the stakes are for, for a fat person. She's like, I don't like, I don't feel like I belong in this world. You know, that's you saying plainly everything will be better when you're gone. And fat people are taking that message and internalizing it. And it's horrible. Michael said, I mean, that's, that's really sad that that's, that's how she feels about this topic, that, that people want you gone, that that's, that's how, and, and again, 
when I talk about it, that's that's not what I intend. But I, I can understand the sensitivity of a fat person who's been discriminated against and and had, you know, horrible things said to them. I it's it's it is a perspective that that, you know, somebody that has faced this type of discrimination, you know, has. And it's it's really sad to think about that. Michael said, you know, you've been through so many rounds of this and, you know, so many rounds of this. Like, why aren't you on FenFen? Why aren't you doing the bariatric surgery? And that's worth listening to. Aubrey said, moving forward, we're going to continue to get these drugs. We're going to continue to get this, quote, gold rush. I And, you know, and I'm in that time, I think it's worth being extra skeptical and returning to the voices of fat people and diabetic people when media isn't doing that for us. To return to the people who are most impacted, to spend way less time speculating about Elon Musk and Kourtney Kardashian and making celebrities defend themselves and trying to think through, you know, how do we get these drugs to people that actually need them? How do we design a better discourse that isn't so wildly dehumanizing for fat people and diabetic people? You know, how do we show up for people a little bit more? I'm glad she ended with that because, you know, I was a little bit confused, you know, how, like what her perspective on it was. Because like in some ways, the, you know, Michael's like, oh, these these are not going to stick around for long term. But then he's also saying they're going to be prescribed to, to tens of millions of people and they can replace statins. You know, they're helping with stroke, diabetes, heart attack. I mean, all of those things. To, and, and we have year long, you know, many year long studies. So in, in one in one hand, they're saying these are life saving drugs that millions can benefit from. And then others saying, oh, these are not here to stay. These are not going to help for the long term. And again, obviously, there's a lot more research to be done. It seems like because of all the diabetic trials that they're going to be safer than something like FenFen. And they may be here to stay. I mean, who knows? I I, I do think it's, it's interesting as you've seen these waves of different... Um, weight loss drugs and different trends and fads that come in. It's just, it's it's kind of interesting. This is the new wave. And, and I also think it's interesting that, you know, at the very beginning, they're talking about how obsessed they are with this topic and they've been researching it for months and following it obsessively for months. But then Aubrey is doing her best to avoid people. She doesn't want to talk about it to people that she's close with. She, but she's interested in it, clearly, because she said she they they said that they were and they were they did a very deep dive on this topic so I would imagine that Aubrey has some complicated internal feelings about it that she's probably working through and um and in the meantime she doesn't want to face you know people asking her about her opinions and and just like they ask you know, why don't you do the bariatric surgery why don't you do fenfen she doesn't want to be asked why aren't you taking these ozempic drugs so I, I again, I, I think these, you know, hearing from fat activists like like Aubrey is very, very important. Um, I don't agree with everything that she says. There's other I think she is probably one of my favorite. I think her 
And there's a, there's a couple others. Um, that girl, Alicia, I forget her last name, but I follow her on Instagram. There's a few good ones. Uh, there's one that I can't stand, and I'm probably going to do a VIP episode on this bitch because she's saying some crazy things that I really don't agree with. And I, I'm going to probably talk about that behind my super premium VIP tier. Uh, I might be doing that topic this week or next week. I might be doing it um, soon, but I will I will be doing a rant on this specific fat activist and, and this podcast that I listened to that she was on because I was... Hmm, I don't know. She has some interesting perspectives. But anyway, that's the show. I hope all of you enjoyed it. I hope all of you are preparing for a fabulous holiday season with friends and family or by yourself with your pets, whatever your life is and brings you joy. Um, please leave a rating and review for this podcast. It means so, so, so much to us podcasters. That just means leave some stars, leave a comment. Uh, let me know what you think of this. I know my haters love to leave me one star reviews. So if anybody likes me out there, please leave me a, a good review. Uh, but even you haters, hey, I welcome you. I welcome your comments. I'd like to hear the feedback. And, and actually, I've gotten some good good feedback from some of my haters so all are welcome but yeah if you could go to apple podcasts and leave a rating and review that would be huge uh you can subscribe to craving more through the link in my in my uh instagram bio at the diet obsessed podcast please follow me on instagram if you have any ideas for topics or podcasts i should listen to please DM me. I love hearing from my listeners. You are my favorite people. And until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced week.